Okay, welcome to another episode of the podcast, I Have Something to Say. I am the host, uh, Dr. Stephen Levy. I have a uh, degree in social work and also one in social welfare, which uh, pretty much just means I can work with individuals and I can work with larger communities, larger structures like organization. So I'm really excited today to have this guest coming on the, the podcast because she's going to talk about something that probably impacts many of us and we just can't quite put our finger on what it is. You know, something's going on with a loved one or someone we know. It, it's bringing up feelings in us and we just can't quite identify exactly uh, what that is. So uh, the guest, Leslie Miller, she has tons of experience in social work, working with individuals, families, uh, couples, uh, supporting uh, children and spouses going through a divorce. Um, and so welcome to the show, Leslie. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. So I think the first thing we should do is really kind of define what this is, what this thing that we're kind of, a lot of us feel and we don't know what it is. So what am I talking about? I believe we're talking about narcissism. Narcissism, right? That thing that, you know, that uncomfortable feeling, what's going on, we can't communicate with this person. So what's your experience with that? What, what is the definition of a narcissist? Well, um, great question. Narcissism is something that um, is really on a spectrum. So there is something that would be considered healthy narcissism as we do come into the world, you know, where our primary needs are to survive and to be cared for and loved. So we kind of start, you know, off in the world with, with narcissism. Some level of narcissism can give us, you know, self-esteem and, 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 and pride and things that, that may help us, but it, it's, it's all about being on a spectrum and by degree. Um, where this becomes problematic is when someone has what would be considered narcissistic personality disorder or really hits the markers for a high level of narcissist, narcissism, which makes them very dysfunctional in their personal relationships, very exploitive in their relationships. And to the extent that someone is um, hits pretty high on the narcissism scale, you're going to see a, a lot of... Um, toxic behaviors that go along with that. There's a lot of damage that gets done to uh, people involved with uh, the, the narcissist um, in an effort to make them happy, to be in relationship with them. Um, a, a classic narcissist is someone who lacks empathy. Really the hallmark uh, of a narcissist is that they have very limited range to be able to relate to other people. Um, they don't readily identify with the feelings and concerns of other people. Um, many of them can fake it very well and sometimes this is something that's really hard to identify initially. Um, it isn't often until you really uh, um, are in deep with the narcissist that you begin to understand that there is a a um a false self so the narcissist um is often somebody who 
was either experienced trauma, abuse, could be psychological, physical, sexual abuse in childhood, or it may also be somebody who was really put on a pedestal in the family system, and they were never really held accountable for their behaviors. And in both instances, the narcissist was really a, a, an object for the parents. So, so whether it was a punitive um, life that they experienced or one of being put on a pedestal, they weren't able to show up in an authentic self. And what the narcissist will do is really safeguard against, you know, pain and rejection and this chronic sense of emptiness and shame that they experience. And the way they do that is really through, you know, a sense of superiority, a sense of entitlement, um, expecting other people. Um, often what someone, when, it, when we start to get into narcissistic, uh, narcissistic abuse, which is what I help people with, um, the, a, a partner or, or a child with a, with, who's a, the child of, of, of a narcissist, they swings in both what's referred to as idealization and then also being devalued. But how? So how would you yeah. def, how would you define it? Like how would I know that I'm um dealing with someone, whether it's a boss or a spouse, that has narcissists? Like like what specific behaviors am I seeing, or how does that play right. out in our everyday life? Right. So so the easiest way to 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 where this really shows up and the easiest way to identify it is does this person really care about me and my concerns? Um, often that that's hard to kind of work out, but at a certain point it becomes apparent that that person is really um, self-involved to the point where their needs are always going to come first. And it doesn't matter how, how much I, I plead for help or I expressed a real need, they are not responsive to that unless they get something in return. So it feels very much, much like a, a, a transaction that happens. Um, that same person will often uh, really idealize uh, you. And so one day you will be great, the best thing ever. And that's often when you're reflecting back to the narcissist what they want to see that that they're great in some way, and that 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 you're making them feel special, and, and that you sort of measure up. The moment that um, you challenge the narcissist's false sense of self in in some way, and often you don't realize that that's what you're doing. Um, that's when the devaluing begins to happen. And that can feel literally like the rug has been pulled out from under you. So it's like the person is scratching their head going, wait a minute, a day ago I was great, we were close, everything was wonderful, today I'm the worst person in the world. Um, an attack, you know, a, 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 like a verbal assault by a narcissist could be very severe where that person will really look for your most vulnerable tender spot and that will be the thing that they will that they will go for because um, often they're they're looking for power and control 
and the best way to do that is to 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 bring somebody down by by being very demeaning right now now i know um like in our line of work you know if someone comes with a depression or anxiety or bipolar or something we can uh diagnose them if they have you know x amount of symptoms or whatever what would that be with a narcissist like what how would you get to a diagnosis and what separates yes that you're diagnosable a narcissist or you're just a crappy person <laughs> you're just a selfish person right 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 um so there, there's there's a number of uh criteria that that the dsm looks for so so a diagnosis is um grandiosity entitlement um looking to only associate with other special and individuals that person the narcissist may be filled with fantasies of being they're brilliant they're uh they want to be famous they they're they're you know the best at, at everything it might be that they're consumed with power, success. Um, this is something that shows up in our political system, um, in the entertainment world, where they're sort of, you know, promoting this. Um, certainly a lack of empathy, as we had said, but I, and also uh, that there's a high level of manipulation in personal relationships. Um, so, yeah. so, so how how would I end up married to a narcissist? I mean, I, I have a pretty good judge of character. You know, I you know see different things. So, how how could I end up with someone who's just so focused on themselves? That's a great question. So, what I have really discovered through my work is that when the narcissist, often the narcissist is on really good behavior until you're in deep to the relationship like charming and like very charming they're very very charming so um and often they they sort of check off all the boxes of success and they they look great on the outside and often it's really hard to spot it might be somebody who's really well respected professionally um academically or or just in your community um so so to the extent that that person is highly regarded by those that are not closely connected to the narcissist and don't really recognize what's going on. It's easy to really buy into the image of the narcissist. And it's, and it's not like most people are like, huh, on the first date, I wonder if you're a narcissist. Like, <laughs> like not very many people are looking for that, right? <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I, I would sort of make a case that maybe they should. Uh, because I think it's something that is more commonplace in our culture than we ever really uh, imagined. And I think to some extent, mo modern life in our Western culture promotes that. You know, when you think of that in, in some ways, kindness may be considered a weakness. Um, and that can be promoted. It's certainly like in the corporate structure and you know achievement you know, there's got to be sort of some bodies along the way right. um that, that that sort of a, a sort of gives the the green light to to a lot of bad behavior which might include narcissistic abuse and it's probably it's probably easy to rationalize it right like how could there be something wrong with me i'm so successful i get what i need blah blah blah, blah. what's exactly. the problem exactly 
exactly who who would question that i have everything i've ever wanted and needed people look up to me exactly um i i think that what happens to someone who gets involved with a narcissist is they're very caught up in the charm those relationships tend to be very intense begin very quickly they move to attachment stage really quickly before you know sort of what's going on and it's at that point that the rug tends to be pulled out of the unsuspecting partner that oh my god this isn't this person isn't who i thought they were and often what happens is is they they kind of can't catch up to how they're being treated they're very stuck on the earlier phase of the relationship where they were being idealized and they're really they they believe that they've done something to cause this sudden sort of change in the the temperature um often it starts with the narcissist just kind of subtly pulls away then the criticism starts and it takes time often for the real abuse to begin but the partner is is often blaming themselves and trying to go back to that beautiful stage where everything was so perfect and wonderful and they're sort of on a hamster wheel trying to trying to 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 please the narcissist it it sounds like it has a lot of characteristics to someone who may be in a physically abusive relationship you know one day yes. they're getting hit they think well if i do something different and then the next day the person's buying their flowers so it's better again. I don't have to worry about it. It's just kind of the cycle. Exactly. Exactly. I I often think of it. I mean, this might sound extreme, but I I I really um think of it as like a prisoner of war where they're they're being tortured. Often in between bouts of physical torture, um the person doing the torturing will befriend the the victim. Uh, maybe they haven't had a drink of water in three days, and they they'll give them some water and and be there'll be intermittent kindness to to establish some vulnerability, and then they start to waterboard that person, you know, a few minutes later. So it's like that that person has let their guard down just enough to become vulnerable again, and, and the abuse begins again. Does does the um the narcissist do they is this is all of this conscious or these are unconscious behaviors? I, I think it's both. I think to the extent that the narcissist has experienced early trauma or, or significant trauma, there may be uh, for that, in that scenario, a lot of um, unconscious desire to, you know, repeat patterns and repeat what they may have experienced themselves. Um, I think for for others, there there is some awareness uh, of what they are doing, but they're they're also very good at playing the victim, and they really do believe in their 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 victimization that things are unfair to them, and they will often come with a sad story in a very pretty package. So I, I think that um, the the. The need for power and control and to continue that and to derive what's called narcissistic supply from other people keeps them in that mode of not wanting to give that up. So it's a real, um, you know, it's a real, it's it's almost like an addictive process. It's like, why would I, why would I give up feeling 
so much power and control sure. in this situation what makes me feel good sure. what what would be an example of a, a trauma someone would experience that might lend itself to uh, be more narcissistic later on yeah um I, I think certainly sexual abuse I think uh, physical abuse intermittent abuse abuse where um, you know, a parent was uh you know really punitive and and frightening and um demeaning um i i also think that a parent that can only see you as winning and great and you're the best and and you know that's also a really lofty place to fall from so that narcissist may really uh fear failure in such an intense way that um, they will do anything to 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 preserve that status, which often means tearing someone else down. It, it almost sounds like they grew up in an environment where they had no control, and then they became Correct. in a situation where they need to exert all their control. That's absolutely correct. Um, the narcissist was really invisible. So unless, unless you were doing something really wonderful or really awful, or it could have been manufactured that you, you were horrible, it might, was likely not legitimate for that person. Um, you're, either way, you're, you're invisible. You're not, you're not able to be an authentic person with needs. And, and oddly enough, the, the partner of someone who's in relationship with a narcissist often is someone who also experienced either a similar kind of being in, invisible, maybe they were codependent in some way in their family or experienced abandonment trauma. Often what you see in couples that are going through this is that both of them are, are invisible in some, in some really key ways and they don't really show up as a full whole self. So, so how do you deal with it if a spouse comes to you and describes their their partner as someone who's narcissistic or has these tendencies. And it gets to the point where they had this trauma. So I understand it. I have to support them. They're suffering. So I need to stay in it, right? Like, where's the balance between, you know, I have to put up with it because they had this trauma and, you know, I can't hold right. that responsibility anymore. Right. Right, right. That's a great question. Well, everyone, when they enter therapy, they're always in a different place as to what their, their, their awareness, their conscious awareness is about their experience and also the role that they may play in their own experience. In other words, what might have led them to accept, you know, to be in a position where this has become a, a way of life that, you know, they're not being treated well. Um, you know, and, and I would, would also venture to say that, you know, often people, their self-esteem gets so eroded by years of this that their, their, their ability to see their way out of it has it, it, been damaged by the stress of their day-to-day. Um, I think what, what's really great when someone comes to therapy is, is being able to call it what it is and to name it and say, oh my God, this is what's happening to me. I never knew that this was a thing. I never understood what narcissism really is. 
I never knew that it fit sort of a pattern and that other people have experienced this too. I thought it was just me. I thought I was just a bad person. I thought I did something to bring this on myself. So, so you work with a lot of couples and families, right? Um, I, I work with a lot of, uh, People going through individual or individuals going who, who've experienced narcissistic abuse. I do work with couples, and I do um, work with with children. So, 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 what happens if I come to you with my spouse? We have, you know, first session, you know, charming and everything. And like by second or third, you're like, yeah, yeah. Like what happens then? Yeah. That's a can, great question. Can, can you work um, with them? Do you have to, like, what happens? Well, so often in a case where it's clear that um, someone is, is being abused by the other the other person and the, the person doing the abusing has very little ability to empathize with the partner, we have to separate them out and, and each person needs to be in individual treatment. Um, sadly, the, the narcissist is hardwired to try to gain the favor of the therapist and triangulate. So it doesn't often bode well for couples therapy. Generally, that's something that needs to be done that, you know, uh, they need to be separated and both go into their own individual therapy. Right. And I, you know, I would view, you know, if a narcissist has this trauma background, um, they had these experiences and they, you know, one way or another, they end up in, in treatment, right? It's how do you help them? How do you get them to the point of, you know, quote unquote, being healed and being healthier? Like, is, is that possible? The person who's experiencing the, the abuse? The narcissist. The narcissist. Great question. Um, that is the, the million dollar question, actually, because by, by virtue of the fact that the narcissist's main endgame is to maintain power and control. Again, it's very, very hard to give this up. Where you make make some inroads is if someone's incarcerated, um, or they have experienced real, really severe life consequences that were meted out either through the court system or the, you know the legal system, where they may have some awareness that my way isn't working anymore and that I need to take a hard look at this. Um, traditional uh, psychodynamic psychotherapy tends to be what has always been favored as a way to deal with a narcissist, but um, group work may also be effective. Um, some CBT type of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy may also show some promise, but this takes a lot of dedication and it's a long-term problem. The narcissist didn't get there overnight. It was years in the making. Um, so it's not a, it's not a six sessions and you're done, you're healed. It's, it's something that is, is really a lifelong process. It doesn't mean you need to be in therapy the rest of your life. But it's something that has to be managed the rest of your life. 
um, the way the way you know substance abuse would. So how are how are you supporting? Let let's say it's a it's a woman who comes to you. You know she's married X amount of years. She's finally putting the pieces together and, and like you know there's a problem here. You know the traditional we've tried couples counseling it hasn't worked. Um, and she comes to you and she's pregnant. And she says, got to figure this out because six months from now, we're going to have a child. What, what, what can I do? How do I, how do I make this better for, you know, this kid? Right. Right. Well, I, I generally what I do is an assessment of where, where the client is, where, where are they in their ability to recognize uh, that what they're experiencing is in fact abuse, whether we call it narcissistic abuse, plain old abuse, abuse is abuse. So are they able to call it abuse and recognize that it needs to stop? That's number one. I would also look at what's around that client. What systems support that client? Do they have a safe place to go? Do they have family involved? What are the systems around the, that client to support them if, if, in fact, they were to make a change? Um, all, then my work is to really to continue to sort of take the temperature of when will this person be ready to leave if they're ever ready to leave the relationship. Um, we're, we, we have continual safety plans sort of um, contracts, if you will, for if this, if this happens and you feel unsafe, this is what you do. And we, we continually walk through the steps. Um, I, I've also worked pretty extensively for the court system, the, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts as a guardian ad litem. And disproportionately, you'd see narcissistic parents showing up in front of a judge pretty much you know, all the time. It's a, it's a common phenomenon in high conflict divorce and custody cases. So, um, w making sure that they're armed with knowledge about the court system, should you decide to leave this, these would be the logical steps. And of course the emotional support that they need that no, you're not crazy. No, you're really being abused. And to continue to support their their experience um, in situations where people feel unprepared to leave, have very few supports, have very few resources available. We will do some you know, some sort of survival tactics, you know, um, how to de-escalate tension in the home, how to respond if the other person starts getting aggressive. But those are really just sort of stopgap measures because at some point it's going to blow up. Yeah, I, I don't really work with, you know, narcissistic parents or, or clients like that. But I can almost imagine, you know, the, the spouse of somebody coming into you and, you know, they're frazzled, vulnerable, whatever it is. And you start to sort of talk to them and, and somehow you get to the abuse topic or the definition. I can imagine them being like, what are you talking about? We have a nice house. I don't have to work. I have this, you know, this, how could that be abuse? Right, right, right. 
Well, if there are children in the mix, I often reach for how do you, how do you think you're, you know, to try to get them to step into the eyes of their child. What do they see? How would they describe, you know, um, if they're seeing mom or dad getting um, really psychologically abused and the whole house is walking on eggshells around the, the narcissist, what does that child see? You know, if you take the, the house and the cars and the, all the, the, the toys out of the mix, how does, how does that five-year-old see you? And is that how you want to be seen? Or if this is something that's a repeated pattern that, that maybe that they witnessed this type of abuse in childhood, you know, when you were five yourself and you saw this in your home, how, how did you feel then? You probably felt pretty helpless and powerless, you know, and, and trying to get them to connect to the emotional piece of it versus the rationalization of yeah. that my life should be so great because look at what I have. Right. Look right. at where I am. Fascinating. Fascinating. So as a clinician, you know, you're, you're describing these behaviors. And is there a parallel between someone who has a borderline personality disorder and a narcissist? There absolutely is. Um, it, that's so interesting. And there are also, um, it, it's one of those cluster B diagnoses that has, you know, there are elements often in both of them where uh, someone who's diagnosed with borderline personality might also have a high number of narcissistic traits. And there's been some research to suggest that women are more likely to get a, a diagnosis of borderline uh, personality disorder and men more narcissism. And, and so there, there's some interesting schools of thought on that. However, the, the primary difference is that a borderline who is sort of the hallmark of that is that fear of abandonment and the, the clinging to that, that intense love, and, and then it sort of splits and becomes, you know, intense hatred with the, the love object. A, a borderline is also um, ma many times somebody that really engages in self-harm. Um, that is not what you see often with a narcissist. There's a lot of, the, you know, uh, borderline and self-harm, it's often a very closely matched. The, the borderline all also has more empathy than, than the narcissist. So they, they may have the, over the, the top the empathy, empathy. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. I, so how would you work with a, you know, uh, an adolescent? that has experienced this, you know, a 12 year old, a 13 year old. Yeah. Um, it's heartbreaking because when the narcissistic parent is bringing the child to therapy and wants you to quote unquote, fix the child, when you know that it is the child is just merely the sort of the uh, conduit of ever, all the, the, the dysfunction in the, in the home, right. Uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, fine line to walk. Um, with adolescents, I do a lot of supporting their reality. So um, 
the narcissist is likes to distort reality so that they can place blame and scapegoat. And if so, if I have a, a, a an adolescent who is the client supporting their their reality is critical so that they can trust what they know in their heart that something is wrong here and it really isn't me so it's sort of like the good news is is it isn't about me and the bad news is is that it isn't really about me right and how can we live knowing that it isn't about me in a good way and also in not a good way. Yeah. And trying to build up the ego of the, the, the adolescent. Their strength and be, confidence. And the right. resilience. And the resilience, yes. sure. Right. Um, so if I'm, if I'm married to a narcissist, I've come to you for help and, you know, we've met for a, a however long times. I'm like, you know what? I need to, I need to leave, you know, I have to, you know, this have to get a divorce. Will the narcissist let them go? Great question. So divorcing a narcissist is a really uh, tricky, tricky thing. And if to the extent that there's tremendous power imbalance, and, and you do see that often, it, it can be pretty dicey. So if the narcissist has the vast majority of control over the family resources, a divorce can be really difficult. Um, where there are children involved, often those become high conflict custody cases where the narcissist will stop at nothing to create um, a false narrative about the parenting of the other parent. And this is one of the reasons why people will stay in the marriage thinking, you know, my life is not great with this person, but I get to keep my kids. Right. Um, because I know that, that the other person is going to go after that and they have the money and the resources to be able to keep this going forever. What you noted, and I'm not, and I would never discourage anybody from from trying because in case after case I worked on where that where where it was clear that there was a relentless theme, you know, where one party was highly narcissistic and relentless, you would start to see that you know things like parental alienation happening, and the judges are are very savvy to all of this now. You would see things like financial abuse, where people had to basically beg for money and, um, you know, for basic needs or where that person would withhold, like not paying for somebody's soccer, you know, and it's like hurting the child, you know, it's like, that's your responsibility to, to make sure your kids have what you need. But in order to punish the spouse, they would use the kids to, to do that. Right. The judges understand that that is not putting the best interest of, of the children first, you know, in a, in a, in an ideal way. Does it, does it always happen perfectly? No, absolutely not. But uh, luckily um, the vast majority of cases I've ever been involved with, the judges understand that. Right. So I encourage people to, to do what they need to do and, and to try not to be too terribly intimidated by the court system. Although that's a, 
Right. So if I have a friend who has depression, right, I can understand that, you know, I can, you know, connect somehow with the struggle or someone has anxiety, right? You know, you feel bad, the person's suffering. How am I supposed to think of a narcissist? Am I supposed to feel bad for them? Am I supposed to, you know, vilify them? How, how are we supposed to view? Yeah, um, that's a tricky question because I guess it really depends on the spectrum of how much damage has the, the narcissist done? I mean, to, to, to your point, someone who is really empathic is going to feel bad for pretty much anyone that experienced trauma and got a raw deal in life and 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 maybe we're set up to have the problems that they have and you know what good for you if you've gone through that much with someone and you can still at the end of the day say i'm glad on me i feel bad for them but i i, I want nothing to do with them but i also wish nothing bad on them good for you you have one you know the, the <laughs> in the game of life right uh so does it always happen that way no um you know i i think that to the extent that the narcissist has really headed toward that side of being like malignant in some way and and approaching you know anti-social types of behaviors right we might not feel so bad for them if sure. they you know, when a day of reckoning may yeah, come. Makes makes sense. So I, I'm interested in, and I'm sure people tuning in will be interested also, how did you get into this niche market? Like how, how did, you know, your career develop where you were like, okay, this is the population I really want to focus on and work. Yeah. Well, um, I grew up in a divorced family. And so I went through a lot of, you know, turbulent times as a kid through my parents' divorce. So that was, that was the, the, the first, the first thing. Um, later on in life, I, I realized that at some point I was attracting toxic characters, you know, in relationships. And when I went to grad school and I started doing my own personal work, my own, I did a psychodynamic training program where everyone had to be right. in therapy, thank right. God. <laughs> um, I started to, the light bulb started to go on. And I said, oh my God, you know, I'm beginning to understand this phenomenon. Um, and, and through 20 years of working, you know, in family therapy and the court system and high conflict custody cases, um, I became more and more interested in this area as that this is a serious problem. It's a serious problem in families, a serious problem in our culture. Um, you could argue in our political system. Uh, there's just all kinds of you know, issues with this. And what's really um, concerning, what would always concern me the most is some of the families that I've seen that are the most dysfunctional and the most harm is being done. The system does little to protect. So because there aren't marks on the child, you know, a DCF worker, the, the Department of Children and Families, they're not going to do much about it. It's like, you know, that kid gets A's in schools. They look perfect right. every day. Mom and dad look perfect. We're not going to do anything about this case. 
And so the, the, it really flies under the radar, which is a shame. Do we need to do more um, education? Like when I go to uh, a community center or, you know, wherever it might be, I might see a pamphlet on anxiety, depression, um, substance abuse, uh, physical yeah. abuse. But I don't think I've ever yeah. seen like narcissist. Right. Well, I would be really inclined to advocate for empathy training in the schools. So when things like bullying are going on, um, which always happen in schools and bullying goes on in the workplace and it goes on everywhere. Um, while we cannot, we're better at identifying what is bullying. Often we never really get to the root of what's causing the bullying. And while not every bully, maybe may not a narcissist, there's a very high correlation between bullying behaviors and narcissism and that the bully really does not feel empathy for the victim. Um, often they rejoice in the humiliation that they inflict on, on the victim. So I think empathy awareness, empathy training can go a long way to beginning to identify things like narcissism. So if I came to you and, you know, I just got accepted into a master's social work program and I'm all excited and I say, you know, I think I'm interested in doing what you're doing. What, what do you recommend for me professionally? Is there a specific training? Is there things I should do? Like, how do you prepare to work with this population, train to work with this population? I think getting the best uh, clinical education you can get is really important. Um, real, cl real clinical training, whether it's at a, at a, a training institute so that you're doing an internships where you're um, highly supervised. Um, when I went to school in the, in the 90s, um, it was, uh, we did what was called process recordings where every single word that was said. They in still session, do them and yeah. students still hate them. <laughs> um, but what a wonderful tool. And Incredibly then valuable. Your, yeah. You'd sit with your supervisor and they would say to you, and what, what, why did you feel the need to, to, to uh, jump in at that point in time when your client was kind of struggling with, right. with any particular issue? Um, certainly for narcissism, more advanced training, reading, uh, continuing education. Are there certificates um, you can get with this or is it continuing I education or? I, continuing education on uh, trauma, complex trauma, uh, personality disorders, um, certainly dialectical behavioral therapy has wonderful elements um, to deal with personality disorders in general. And it really does help your under the clinic, the clinician under have a better understanding right. of this dynamic. Right. And I would imagine like, it's probably not even an option. Like if you're going to work with this population, you need to be in therapy yourself because you need to be right on with the conscious use of self and the counter transference and transference, right? Because that's probably going on all the time. Exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah. Um, you have to, I mean, a therapist has to work hard to not be triggered themselves because you will hear very outrageous things that your clients present and, you know, you want to. Can you give us an example? <laughs> or am I putting you on the spot? I have to think about something more in the past, but, you know, I've heard of horrible stalking by the narcissist. And you, you know, and people are still playing ball, you know, and it's like, listen, you're going to end up, I mean, this, I don't want to read about this case in the news. Yeah. This has to stop. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. since you had mentioned school before, how has this little thing called a pandemic impacted your work with this population? Is it just as effective, you know, virtually or... What's been the impact yes. for you? Well, I, I love working virtually because I can reach so many more people this way. So I'm in the Boston area, but I have clients now that are spread out. Um, and, and there are people I'm working with that geographically we would never be able to work together. Um, and finding that because people are um, quarantined and locked down, with their family, depending on what's going on in that family system, they're going to feel a lot of stress. And if they're living with a narcissist, they are looking for help. Um, my phone has been very, very consistently busy since the pandemic began. Uh, we have a lot of people really, really struggling to, to be grounded and, and to, to be resilient, to, to, to get through this and to face every day with a lot of uncertainty just in general. Yeah. I, I found that, uh, virtual treatment therapy, so many more people have engaged in it. I've heard so many times, like I never would have done this if I had to go through to find out, you know, this person and I had to go to an office and do all these things. And now people can log in from just about anywhere. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, um, you don't have the travel time back and forth. I mean, when you think about a, a 50 minute therapy session, if you spend a half hour to get there and a half hour and that's on a good day, yeah. you know, you, it's, it's takes up a lot of time and that, that might be a reason that somebody wouldn't do it. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so final words of advice, wisdom, people tuning in, what do, what do you want them to know? Go. What do you want them to take away? Yeah. Well, what I want them to take away is that there is help out there for narcissistic abuse. If you have even a question about the person that you're living with, it, it warrants a closer look. Um, we are not to, meant to walk on eggshells. We are not meant to have to measure and filter every word that we say. We are not meant to walk around in fear and constant chronic anxiety or always trying to sort of recover from, from being criticized and, and, and mistreated. There is a better way to go. Um, you can absolutely come out on the other side of this. Is it an easy process? No. Is it a frightening process? It, it, it could very well be, but it is so worth doing the work. You get your life back, you get yourself back. 
And when someone is able to be able to focus on, hey, how did I get here? What is it in me that um, invited this into my life so that it will never happen again and really be empowered and, and to model for our children that we don't have to we don't we don't have to put up with it. Yeah, that's really great. So if someone wants to learn more about you or maybe reach out to you, how should they do that? They can come to my website and uh, fill out a contact uh, um, form or just simply email me. Also, my phone number is on my website and it's just Leslie Miller, L-I-C-S-W.com. Great. And uh, you can also go to my website and I will have a, a link to Leslie's uh, site and all her contact information. So this was great. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, maybe we'll have you back soon in the future. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye.